0: just keep consistent that's actually what keeps insomnia at bay the same bedtime same wake time as often as you can seven days a week not different on the weekends and don't compensate for a bad night so if you have a bad night and you just can't sleep don't be on your phone and on the computer just get up go read a book do a puzzle something without a screen get out of bed if you can't sleep quiet calm relaxing dim light Get back in bed and go to sleep when you're finally sleepy again, but get up at your usual time. Don't sleep in.
1: Welcome to Fit as a Fiddle. My name is Dr. Sneha Ghazi, and I'm a physical therapist and business owner in New York City. Each episode, we bring you phenomenal guests in the health and wellness industry who share inspiring tips and tangible advice. This podcast is for a community of people who want to keep their mind, body, and spirit Healthy and thriving. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please subscribe, review, and enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. Welcome to today's podcast. We have the renowned Shelby Harris, she's a clinical psychologist and has just authored of the book, The Woman's Guide to Overcoming Insomnia. Get a good night's sleep without relying on medication. And we're all really excited to get and read this book. So Shelby, thank you for coming on the podcast. And please let us know a little bit more about what you do.
0: Thank you for having me, first of all. Um, So let's see. So I'm, like you said, a clinical psychologist by training. So I treat anxiety and depression uh, with a CBT lens, so a cognitive behavior therapy lens. But I have extra board certification fellowship training in something called behavioral sleep medicine. So what that means is I'm... Trained in treating sleep disorders, many sleep disorders without using medications. So insomnia, um, delayed sleep phase disorders like night owl syndromes, people who wake up too early, nightmares, people who can't use their CPAPs or PAPs for um, for sleep apnea properly claustrophobia issues, all that stuff, we use non-medication approaches. And I worked at the sleep lab and ran their behavioral sleep medicine program at Montefiore for over a decade before going into private practice last year, where I'm now working solely with uh, anxiety, depression, sleep patients all the time in White Plains, New York.
1: That's amazing. Congratulations on Thank your you. practice. I think it's Thanks. great that we have somebody so specialized in your fields because it's clearly a problem. There's a lot yes. of research and there's lots of studies that go behind this. And um, like your book addresses, it's a female-dominated issue. Mm-hmm. And I think that targeting that population can alleviate a lot of this problem in society because we all know lack of sleep means less alertness during the day, less productivity, and just overall decreased quality of life. Yes, 100%. So important. So we're excited to hear more about it from you today. So to get started, I wanted to know what, what exactly is the reason why there's this problem and why is it so prevalent in the female
0: population? So insomnia, trouble falling asleep, trouble staying asleep, trouble waking too early, um, and it has to create a problem for you. That's really the definition of insomnia. And it happens multiple times a week over months on end. And it happens about 50, 50, 0 percent of the population, men and women, have uh, times of insomnia a night here and there. Um, but not at insomnia diagnosable levels. But then 15.15% of the population has chronic unremitting insomnia. So it's a huge epidemic in our population. Now, when it comes to women, women have a rate of insomnia over men of a rate of three to two. And why is it that women have more insomnia than men? It's a lot of it is due to hormonal changes over time. So whether we see actually kids up until adolescence, when women, um, when girls uh, start to have their menses, they actually have equal rates of insomnia in girls and boys. But then when hormonal changes start to happen in women rates actually start to go up uh right before women have their period they actually often many women start to have insomnia and that might happen every month for a number of women and then pregnancy is a time of insomnia for a lot of people once the baby comes a lot of times the baby is up all night women don't sleep because of anxiety hormonal changes breastfeeding a million other things and then finally once the baby is actually sleeping through the night the brain just doesn't shut off. And that can be a big issue for a lot of people. And if the brain doesn't shut off, then insomnia can just continue and continue from then on in. Um, And then the next big phase where we see insomnia is perimenopause. So once hormonal changes happen, big swings in estrogen and progesterone, those changes really do cause hot flashes, night sweats, brain starts racing even more and trouble sleeping really skyrockets. And that can last 10, 15 years and even post-menopause for some women. So those rates are really much worse in women than men.
1: I see. So sounds like it's kind of stems from some hormonal basis, which is very mm-hmm. biological, but of course there's so many environmental causes 100%. Too. So yes. every woman is different, as we all know in
0: clinical practice. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think the other thing, too, is that women are now not just juggling home life. They're also juggling home life and working. Women are working out mm-hmm. of the home more so than ever. So it's not there's no time to turn off. So that's the other big thing I'm seeing is that women are out working all day long. Then they come home. They're taking care of their kids. Yes, the men have a big role a lot of times too, but women are just, they're different. They take over, they're multitasking, thinking of a million different things, taking care of a million things. And then once the kids are going to bed, they're still doing a bunch of things that need to get done once the kids have gone to bed, that once they finally are tired, it's time for them to go to bed, they can't turn their brains off because they're thinking about the 80 things that need to be getting, get done tomorrow. And that's the other piece that really takes over for women that men don't always quite appreciate in the same way. Yeah. And it's that planning. It's like
1: that forward thinking, constant planning. What's next? What do we have to do for tomorrow? And is it in your experience with your psychology background too? Is it, do you think it's more so of a forward thinking or a backward thinking of like things that have happened more in the depression side of things? Oh, all of these things have gone wrong or like that. Or is it more so we have to do this, this, and this, and I'm anxious about the kids' school. I'm anxious about my meeting and that.
0: It doesn't even have to be, it can be both. Um, It doesn't even have to be depression or anxiety. So depression tends to be more ruminative. It can be more of that kind of thinking about the past, kind of ruminating on that stuff. Anxiety is typically is very forward thinking, worrying about the future, trying to control the future, even though you might not have any control over it by worrying about it. But there are a lot of people that don't have any diagnosable anxiety or depression, women themselves. And women do tend to have higher rates of that, but they don't have that. And they just report that, They can't turn their brains off. So it's not even anxiety. It's just, I'm just thinking about the 80 things that happened today. Nothing bad. I'm just processing my day and thinking about the thing that I had for lunch. And it's just, I always say, it's like your brain is at a volume of 11 out of a dial that goes up to 10. And it's teaching them to kind of quiet it down and to not hear it as much.
1: Yeah. So going back to what you were saying about just the fact that women are working more and that kind Mm -hmm. of culture has changed. Do you think that that's why there's more rates or do you think it's because studied more? Which one do you think is it more? Because we, we always know um, that there's so many more studies coming on a lot of different diagnoses. So
0: what do It's you hard to say. I mean, they're kind of happening at the same time. The, the studies on women are really, you know, newer. They're really, it's interesting. I, like when I wrote the book and proposed it a few years ago, there really was no research looking at targeting treatments towards women and now over the past like year or two it's like skyrocketed because now they're starting to recognize it I think I think they're both happening at the same time it's hard to say but I do I do think it's going on I do think it's been going on for a while and I think women working out of the home and I think the hormonal things I think it's just been age ages happening
1: yeah yeah. And so tell us a little about CBT's role in this and what
0: you do in a
1: clinical sense.
0: Right. So in the field of sleep medicine, and actually in primary care, the guidelines, the standard guidelines now for treating insomnia are actually to do this thing called cognitive behavior therapy for insomnia, and that's my area of specialty. The thing is there aren't that many people who are actually specialists in it, and the ideal is to find someone who's board certified in it. If there isn't someone who's board certified, there are some apps that you can get. Um, The VA has something called CBTI. There's some really good apps that you can get that are all CBTI based or you can get, that's why I wrote my book that basically does what I do with my patients. Um, But what it is essentially is it's the, it's like I said, it's the first line treatment for insomnia now because it does not use medication. doesn't mean you have to be off medication to do it, but it's the first line treatment. We like to start people on it before they even go down the road of sleep aids because it's just as effective as all the medications. That's the thing. It's not as easy as taking a pill and then sleeping well that night if the pill works. But it works, it's short term. It's about between four to eight sessions, though I've had patients get better and sometimes two sessions. Sometimes it's longer than eight sessions if you have a lot of issues or a lot of medications you're on. It varies. But generally, it's four to eight sessions. But what it is, is it looks at the cognitive part. So the C in cognitive behavior therapy is changing the beliefs that you have about what a lack of sleep that night is going to do for you. So if I don't sleep tonight, I won't be able to function tomorrow. I have to sleep tonight or else XYZ will happen tomorrow. And all the pressure that you put on yourself to sleep and the, the consequences that you fear will happen because of sleep. So teaching you to really look at those thoughts excuse me, that you have, and then challenge them and look at the accuracy behind the thoughts. Because I always say to patients, your rational brain is not there at two in the morning.
1: Mm-hmm. So it's really,
0: it's really <laughs> rationally challenging the thoughts, not positive thinking, not say, if you've gotten in multiple car accidents after a bad night of sleep, it's not saying, oh, nothing's going to happen, you'll be fine. And well, then we need to actually look at your driving history and say, maybe you shouldn't be driving. But for most people, that's not an issue. And then we need to not fear it so much. Um, then the behavior part, oh, and also mindfulness is another component for some people. So teaching them to actually be able to focus their brain a bit better, not let it go off track as much to quiet it down. Then the behavior part is really the basic sleep hygiene stuff that we always hear about, right? That's never really a cure for someone with chronic insomnia, but behaviorally we'll do limiting um, caffeine limiting cigarettes alcohol no naps after 2 p.m or no naps at all ideally Um, consistent bedtime wake times only use the bed for sleep and sex is a big one that's called stimulus control so you're controlling the bed the stimulus only for sleep and sex And then the other thing that's a big part of the B is actually changing bedtimes and wake times for a lot of patients. So I might make them go to bed a lot later and wake up a little earlier. I'll limit the amount of time spent in bed. We call it sleep restriction because spending less time in bed actually helps to help someone fall asleep faster and stay asleep longer. So it's counterintuitive, but it does work in the long run. So we do that with a lot of patients. And then sometimes we'll use relaxation treatments, things like that to help bolster the effects. But that's CBTN in a nutshell. So it's very treatment for, or very skills focused, short term, and uh, yeah, that's and the you're
1: you're really targeting like the root cause. Like these pills yes. are great, like you said, for short term situation, but they're not actually treating the underlying problem.
0: People typically don't find that once they stop their Ambien or whatever medication they've been taking every day, they usually don't find that they start sleeping well all of a sudden after stopping it. So they need tools, techniques to be able to learn to sleep well without the medication. And that's where I come in. And it doesn't always work perfectly that, you know, someone can sleep great without with just CBT alone. Oftentimes it does. And a lot of times I get people, people come to me because they're on the medication and they need to get off of it or their doctor won't prescribe it anymore. or They're scared of the long-term effects. So a lot of what I do is tapering people off the medication over time while building in CBT. Um, But yeah, it's really not a long... The medication's really not in the field. We don't look at it as a long-term solution anymore. CBT plus um, medication is a better approach, but really CBTI overall is the best first-line approach.
1: And on a tangent, what are your thoughts
0: on CBD used for CBD? You know, I have no thoughts, really. (laughs) That's great. You know, the problem is it's really not researched well enough at at this point. Um, I have patients coming in every day asking me about it and honestly every i would say i do like maybe three new patient intakes a week two out of the three have tried it once in a while someone's find it helpful most of the time i remember i also deal with some of the more severe patients that even medications don't work for so i'm not against it but i really there's it's just not any sort of standard of care in the sleep field yet so i can't i don't recommend it at this point
1: and what about people who, I mean, I have a couple of people who would just yeah. kind of throw this at me as a physical therapist when I'm asking about, you know, their stress levels and how that affects their mm-hmm. pain and all this? They'll be like, oh, you know, I just drink alcohol to be able to go to sleep. Yeah. And, and you know, like we mentioned, it's, you tell people to stop caffeine, alcohol, yes. um, screen time, all of this, we kind of, that's sleep, part of sleep hygiene. We stop these things at a certain time of the day so that we're able to sleep better. So, what do you have to say to those
0: people who want, to drink
1: alcohol or consume drugs to go to sleep.
0: Right, so the problem with that is that alcohol, yes, it's sedating. I get why people drink it. I have a glass of wine and I'm like falling asleep. The problem with it is that um, it makes the quality of the sleep that you get really terrible. So it's kind of like, what's the point of doing it if the quality of the sleep you get is really not gonna be worth it? And then if you're someone who's even remotely prone towards snoring and likely sleep apnea, If you don't even have it diagnosed or know that you have it, you can actually worsen any underlying breathing disorders. Um, So it's risky in that that way as well. And the problem too is that even if you start drinking it to um, fall asleep, it wears off after a little while that then you wake up and you need more to be able to fall back asleep again. So it's shallow sleep. It's more broken sleep because your body's literally waking up because it's in withdrawal and needs more. So it's just the quality of the sleep. It puts you to sleep, but at what cost? That's kind of how we look at it. Yeah.
1: No, that makes sense. I think that's valid. And a lot of I'm sure that tons of people come and ask you this question yeah. too. Oh, all
0: the time. Yeah, yeah.
1: It works on the short term. And they're always asking. They're like, oh, yeah, I do this. Is that
0: okay? I'm like, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. That's the exact reason. So. And in the long run, it just leads to a bad habit of you having to drink more and more to get the same effect to fall asleep. And then your body is really going to have worse quality sleep. And you're going to wake up more and more and need more of it to be able to go back to sleep. So it's a very slippery slope.
1: Okay. And then, and then not, also
0: a lot of times people are combining it with medication. Yes. Right. right. Go ahead.
1: No, do people ask you or do you recommend that people engage in some kind of intimacy or intercourse before sleep? Is that helpful in sleep time or sleep quality or anything like that?
0: Totally varies. Totally varies. Some people find it's really great before bed. Other people find it um, is too alerting, and we actually recommend they have they – have sex or intimacy in the morning so it's really it's up to that person whatever they find it does for them
1: okay interesting fair enough yeah. these are all great great answers because people always ask these questions and we don't know because yeah, we're not yeah. looking into the research
0: there's probably not a lot of, out, of research out there to begin with honestly I think anecdotally I think for men it tends to be more um sedating and I think for women it tends to be more alerting oh interesting huh Yeah. <laughs> yeah
1: great So any other tips and tricks, things that you, you know, little nuggets of wisdom that you give to your patients on sleep or, you know, for women specifically?
0: You know, I think for women, the biggest thing that I'd say to everyone is just, first of all, don't suffer in silence, right? So it doesn't mean you have to automatically go to hormone therapy, hormone replacement. Yes, for some people, it's that bad and you do have to do that. But CBT for insomnia is very effective. I have a lot of women who are going through perimenopause and it works really well. Um, if you wake up with night, uh, night sweats, hot flashes, there are pajamas that you can be buying, look up that are uh, moisture wicking, get as much cooling bedding as you can, um, whatever you can to keep the environment nice and cool. A warm environment is actually gonna make you sleep worse. The other big thing that I recommend to everyone, male or female, is just keep consistent. That's actually what keeps insomnia at bay. The same bedtime, same wake time, as often as you can, seven days a week. Not different on the weekends and don't compensate for a bad night. So if you have a bad night and you just can't sleep, don't be on your phone and on the computer, just get up, go read a book, do a puzzle, something without a screen. Get out of bed if you can't sleep. Quiet, calm, relaxing, dim light. Get back in bed and go to sleep when you're finally sleepy again. But get up at your usual time. Don't sleep in. Because when you start sleeping in and napping a lot more during the day, that's what sets the whole body clock off. And that's what actually sets off a whole insomnia cycle. So just try to brush it off. You'll be tired the next day, but you'll likely sleep better the next night. And then you'll get back on track.
1: Got it. And just bouncing off of that idea on making up sleep.
0: Yes. Is it? Is there research
1: behind saying that that's absolutely not okay, or is it better for you to sleep more on a night that you didn't, like the previous night you didn't sleep well? Yeah,
0: you know, it's a very loaded question, because <laughs> every few months there's a study that comes out that shows that sleeping in is bad, and then once, he, yeah, once in a while there's a study that shows it's actually really good. You know, the way I kind of look at it is it's not great to sleep in on the weekends, but if a little bit is okay, if you don't have insomnia, you know, you also have to make that demarcation if you have trouble sleeping versus not trouble sleeping. If you don't have trouble sleeping, it's okay. But it might set you up for trouble in the long run, right? If you start having some trouble sleeping, or you're used to sleeping in, it might make it harder. But when you look at sleeping and why are you doing it on the weekends, right? Are you so sleep deprived in the middle of the week that you're needing to catch up? The way I look at it is this, if you're someone who's missing, if you need eight hours of sleep every night, and on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, thir- let's say Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, those five nights, you only get six hours of sleep because you're doing work for the next work day. So you miss two hours every night. So it's 10 hours that you're missing in those five nights. Make sense? Can you make up 10 hours of sleep on the weekend? If you can sleep an extra five hours in on those two days, good for you, but most people can't sleep that much. So you have a sleep debt that just keeps accumulating, accumulating, that it's hard to make up the amount that you're actually losing in the middle of the week. So you can sleep in a little bit if you don't have trouble with insomnia in general, but most people who are sleeping in are never gonna make up what they're losing anyways, that it's better to just try and keep as consistent as possible. If you have a bad night here and there, it's okay a little bit, but really try not to do it because it might just set off an insomnia episode yeah did and make sleep a priority every night make it get as much as you can
1: yeah no that's great those are like the most amazing free advice that anybody can get on this podcast if they're Good. suffering from sleep insomnia thank you well, I'm glad so, to so hear much it. thank you it's
0: my pleasure
1: it's been great having you on board
0: <laughs> thank you so much thanks for having me
1: thank you so much for listening i hope everyone gained a lot of new information out of this episode please subscribe and review the show. It means the world. I can't wait for you to listen to the next episode.